We are uh, doing the second part of a two-week thing on the gift of prophecy. Last week was part one. This week, the gift of prophecy and words of knowledge, part two. If you missed last week or the introduction to the gifts of the Spirit before that, you should probably go listen to that online, catch up on that. You can do that at realityventura.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It should be there. So our text today is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, same as it was last week. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation because it says it perfect. It says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. I'm going to pray in just a second, but before I do, I want to um, give you a heads up in how I'm going to pray and why I'm going to pray like that. Uh, last week, well, you know, sometimes God speaks um, through dreams and visions. The Bible says that. It's clear. We see that Old Testament, New Testament. Sometimes he speaks prophetically and instructs us on what he's doing, what he thinks about a situation, what he's wanting to do through dreams and visions. Last week, uh, at the first gathering, and then at the second gathering, two different people who, you know, a few hours apart from each other, saw really similar pictures. And I know both of them. We know both of them. We trust them, love them, um, respect them. And in both pictures they saw, there was vessels. One was like a, a, a wine vat with a, a funnel at the top of it where you would pour liquid into it to get into the vat. And the other one was uh, like a water vessel, like a carafe that you'd put on like a, a table at a restaurant that was intended to have water poured into it. And both of them had something stopping the receiving of the flow. This one over here was a cork at the bottom of the funnel before the, the vat. And this one was somebody's hand, like somebody put their hand over like, no, thank you right? And the woman who saw this one at the second gathering said, Lord, why, why did somebody put their hand over there? What is that? And felt like God said, that's, that's fear. It's because of fear. Which for us, as some of the leaders and the, the pastors here, we've been praying in that way, feeling like that was something God was saying for the last several weeks, couple of months really. If you remember about six weeks ago, we called an audible and I preached a sermon called Not a Spirit of Fear because it was so obvious that that week God was saying, hey, there's people that are living in fear and that's preventing the receiving of all I want to do in their lives. So here's the deal. You may or may not know that uh, that's what that is, but I want to help you identify that today and say, Hey, that thing, that resistance you're feeling of just like, I just feel like something's stuck. Like something's just, there's like a cork in it. It's just like preventing something. Or I feel just like stubborn or unwilling or I don't want to give up control or I don't know. And you don't even know it's called fear maybe. Um, I just want to help identify that, that maybe that's what it is. And maybe you do know what it is. You've already identified and said, yeah, dude, I'm scared. I'm scared of getting God control. I don't want to let him drive because if I let him drive and I sit in the passenger seat, where is he going to take me? What's he going to do? Where are we going to stop? How fast are we going to go? Like, right? Maybe you already have identified it. Either way, the Bible says that God's perfect love casts out fear. And so I want to pray for us that we would have hearts that say, God, we welcome in your love. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life where I'm like half, half getting what God has for me. Like that just sounds like the most boring, mundane, uh, less than what God has for me kind of life. So I want to pray for us in that way. Would you join with me? And if you are like feeling some kind of blockage in your life, maybe right now you just, as we pray, you just put your palms up as an attitude of surrender and receiving. And I want to pray before I even preach that God would just break stuff down. Lord, we invite 
everything that is, is, of, is of you today into our lives and into this place. We invite everything that, is, that comes from your love into this place today. We ask that you would unveil our eyes to see how great your love is for us. That would begin to change our identity and your great love for us. We begin to cast out fear. We say that, like the song we just sang, fear doesn't have a place when we're standing in your love. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, by your spirit, bring us into your love. And some of this, uh, I mean all this, Lord, we, we, it's not something we can just break open. We can't just like tear down the walls of Jericho. That's something you have to do. You can't just like break open dams. That's something that has to come from beyond us. And so I ask in Jesus' name that you would just tear down anything that is preventing us from fully receiving the fullness of what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are framing this uh, two-part sermon on the gift of prophecy with three words. And I'm going to put up this little triangle here. We looked at the first two last week. We looked at the what and the why. And today we're going to be looking at the how. And here's the deal. Like a triangle, if you take a away one of the sides or you compromise the integrity of one of the sides, the, the strength of the whole thing and the effectiveness of the whole thing um, starts to fall apart. And so it is critical that when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, especially gifts of prophecy, certainly the gifts of prophecy, that we are aware of all three of these, that they are all strengthened. We are well-informed. We have biblical basis for all of them. Because if you start to are weak in one or the other, then both the one receiving the prophetic word and the one giving the prophetic word are not walking the fullness of what God has for that. So last week we looked at the what and the why. This week we are looking at the how. But first, just a quick two-minute recap on the what and the why, because I know some of you weren't here last week. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't go back and listen. You should still go back and listen. But I'm going to do a two-minute recap. First of all, by definition, the what, the gift of prophecy, is the human reporting of divine revelation, speaking forth in merely human words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. The New Testament gift of prophecy is different than the Old Testament office of prophet. Old Testament prophets spoke the very words of God. The New Testament gift of prophecy is us merely using human words to convey something that God has brought to our mind or heart. And it does not have the same authority that an Old Testament prophet's words had. The only thing that has that authority now in the New Covenant is Scripture. A prophetic word can be a revelation about the present, the past, or the future. And it could come in the form of an encouragement, a warning, rebuke, correction, or an insight. It could be revealed through a previously recorded word from God, i.e. Scripture, a not previously recorded word from God, not Scripture, although always in line and submitted to under the authority of Scripture, in the form of dreams and visions, like I just talked about, or by a sense or an impression. I gave examples of all those things, even personal examples of how that plays out sometimes in people from our church last week. A word of knowledge, which would be also under the the umbrella of the prophetic gifts, a word of knowledge is God transmitting to you his specific knowledge about something or someone that you would otherwise have no ability or means to know outside of the revelation of God. And it often, words of knowledge, often precede a prophecy or a healing. And words of knowledge have a way of opening up a person's heart and stirring faith for what is to come. 
<clears throat> now the why, the purpose of the prophetic gifts can be for the purpose of strengthening, encouraging, and comforting others, convicting non-believers, instructing or teaching, directing and guiding, predicting the future, saying what's coming, but always for the purpose of love. Prophecy is not just God wanting to share his information with us, but his heart with us, as we talked about last week. And so this brings us to the how, which is what we're talking about today, the third part of that triangle, the how. That is the goal, motivation, and practice of the gift of prophecy. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to look first at the goal and the motivation. And here it is in our text today. We just read it. It's as clear as day. What is the goal of all of this stuff? Paul says it right here at the beginning. Let love be your highest goal. In the midst of this whole dissertation about how to use the gifts, what the gifts are, how we should approach them, what the purpose of them, multiple times, Paul says, hold on though. Remember the whole basis of this entire thing. It's all about love. In all the gifts, in all of your prophesying, let love be your highest goal. Let love be your chief end. Let love be your greatest pursuit. Like it says in the NASB, this verse reads, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. But pursue love. Love is the pursuit. We are to chase after love, and we are to chase after love first. And then with that goal in mind, with love as our destination, then we desire earnestly the gifts of the Spirit, especially that we may prophesy. If we don't want to love, though, for those, and we don't have love, we don't want to have love for those around us, then we should not be prophesying. We should not be desiring to prophesy because love is the destination. Paul said it in the chapter before, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, words of knowledge, and if I have all faith, the gift of faith, so that I can move mountains, the gift of miracles, but do not have love, I am nothing. I could have all the power. I could have all the miracles. I could have all of the Spirit working through me, doing crazy stuff, all the gifts, all the anointing. But it's literally pointless unless I have love. So what is the goal of prophecy? The goal is love. Let me say it another way. The end goal of all the spiritual gifts is that those who are the recipients of the gifts or in proximity to the exercise of those gifts might experience and know deeper and deeper the love of God that surpasses knowledge. We ought to join in with Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus when he says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The goal and prayer in the body and even for the world around us is that through the gifts by the Spirit that people around us would begin to know deeper and deeper the love of God that surpasses knowledge, which is a crazy lofty prayer, right? Like that they would know experientially, I mean literally, that they would experientially know the love of God that's beyond knowledge. It's beyond, what it means is it's beyond head knowledge, 
But you can understand it with your heart. You can understand it as you begin to experience it. That is the end game here. And that is what the Holy Spirit, through his gifts, intends to do. And what is the motivation? So that's the goal. What is the motivation of prophecy? What should the motivation of prophecy may be? You may have already guessed it, but it is love. And that's what we see in God, right? That's what we see in God's motivation for everything. Let's just take like the most known Bible verse in all of the New Testament, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay, let's stop right there. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that. In other words, because God loved the world, he gave his only son. The love, his love, God's love for the world was his motivation in him sending forth, speaking forth Jesus, so to speak, into the world. Jesus coming, the word of God. Jesus, the very word of God. The word in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, and the, the, the word dwelt among us, right? The very word of God, Jesus, spoken into the world, the world, if you will, prophesied by his, his Father into the world, if you will. Because God loved the world, therefore he did. It was the Father's love that moved him to send the Son. It was the Son's love that moved him to give his life. In all things, love must be the motivating factor and the end goal if we are going to work in harmony with who God is. For the one who does not love does not know God, <laughs> because God is love. I love this. Your destiny is to fall in love with the people that your calling gives you access to. Hold on, stop right there. Who has your calling in life? Whatever that is, whatever you're called to do in your life, who has that given you, given you access to? Your, your destiny is to fall in love with the people your calling has given you access to. Like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus had the who. He had the who before he had the what. And because of the who, he endured the cross. Right? God saw humanity, loved humanity, and then sent his son. Now, before we get into some of the practicum of using the gift of prophecy and walking in the gift of prophecy, um, I want to say a word about fortune-telling and versus the biblical gift of prophecy because they can kind of—it can kind of appear to be the same. Like, you're talking about stuff in the future. It just sounds like fortune-telling. Like, that's weird. Is that wrong? Whatever. What is the difference? And the difference is really in the purpose, the motivation, and the goal. Fortune-telling— <clears throat> is the act or practice of someone predicting the future. Right? We all know that. Biblical prophecy is not fortune-telling. It is what we would call forth-telling. It is speaking forth something from the heart and mind of God, and as such is relational as opposed to informational in nature. 1 Corinthians 2 says, In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. The spirit of God, through prophecy, we're talking about prophecy right now, through prophecy reveals the mind of God. That's what it says right here. And speaks forth something from the mind of God. It is from the personhood of God. It is relational in nature. But prophecy is also forthtelling. In that it sees what God sees and calls it forth. You remember uh, Lazarus, right? The story of Lazarus. And he died. And Jesus shows up after he's dead. 
And all anyone could see who was surrounding the grave was what it was. And what it was, was death. But Jesus saw what it could be. Jesus saw what it should be. And so he spoke forth into that and called forth what it should be. And even said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus, when everyone else saw death, Jesus saw life and then called that forth, right? He was prophesying. He called forth Lazarus and Lazarus rose from the dead. This is one of the purposes of prophecy. It calls forth in someone what God sees even when nobody else sees it that way. And this is forth-telling. Some people say that, you know, Jesus came into the world um, to just show everyone how wrong we were. But Jesus did not come to condemn the world. That's what John 3.17 says. But that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of sin, right? Yes. But don't just stop right there. Jesus didn't just come to save us from something. He came to save us to something. Let me say it again. Jesus didn't just come to save us from something, but he came to save us to something, namely relationship with God. He saw what it could be. He came into this spiritually dead world, but saw what it was intended to be, and then called that forth from us and in us. That's how we were born again. That's what he did. And when you really look at the Gospels, you start to see that Jesus treated people with a worthiness and honor that they did not deserve. And it's because he was treating them as the Father saw them, not as they currently were. Isn't that what's happening with the woman caught in adultery? Jesus saw her as she was intended to be, as if she was already redeemed and secure in her identity and beloved and forgiven and freed and a daughter of God. He saw what she could and would be, not what she was. He didn't see her as an adulteress. He saw her as a daughter, and he spoke to her and treated her as such, and thus spoke to her and called forth something in her and liberated her, right? We all remember that story. Same thing with Peter. What Peter was, if you just look at Peter, what he was, was a below average, not too bright fisherman. But what Jesus saw was what the Father saw, this strong, bold, faith-filled leader, and thus spoke to him and treated him as such. Let me ask you a question. What if you had a child who you knew, God told you, like, whatever, you just knew without a shadow of a doubt, that they were destined to be one of the world's top ten most influential leaders when they grew up? It was a fact. Wouldn't you begin to treat them a little bit different? Even when you discipline them, you would discipline them with a different goal in mind. You would talk to them different. You would, you would guide them differently because you know what their destiny is. You know you have this special, high-level, very honorable, and very sacred destiny wrapped up in this child. And so you would approach everything differently. Man, this is, this is, this is the way that it is with every single child of God. Every single person in the body of Christ has this kind of destiny. Not necessarily world leaders, but they hold this same value and honor to the Father. And the way the Father sees them is already perfected, is already whole, is already victorious. He sees them as valuable, worth the fight, treasured, like he wants something to be paraded, like he puts kids on his shoulder and look at my kid. Like that's how God, that's how the Father sees his kids, someone to celebrate, beautiful, strong, honorable. 
And to have the heart of Jesus in the prophetic is to tap into that heart of how the Father sees people and then start treating people, leading people, speaking to people, and prophesying to people from that place. That's what Jesus did. And when we see the love as both the reason why we prophesy, that is the motivation, and the destination of where we want people to get to and arrive at, that is the goal, then we start to see the world like Jesus did. So that's the motivation and the goal of prophecy. In short, it is love. Now for the practice, you know, some rules, some guidelines, some etiquette when operating the gift of prophecy. Um, Now don't tune out if that was like the fun, like, heart emotional stuff and some of you are like heart people and some of you are like mind people if you're like a heart person don't tune out right now because i just said like the words rules and guidelines and etiquette this is on the, that doesn't mean this is boring or lifeless man this is what the bible says here and we want to know how to operate in this this is the this is a critical part of the how <clears throat> first of all we looked at some of this last week but just to put it all in one place here how do we know that something is a prophecy or that someone is an operation of the gift of prophecy. First of all, it will line up with the truth of Scripture. Remember, Scripture is the only authority in our lives. And a prophecy from God will always line up and come under the authority and be submitted to Scripture. Next, it will bear witness with the Holy Spirit inside of us. We've all got the Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit. And so if a prophetic word does not bear witness with the Spirit inside of you, then maybe that wasn't from God. And a humble and mature person who's delivering the prophetic will be able to, to, you know, be mature enough and humble enough to say, all right, man, maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed it. Maybe that wasn't from God. It is always for the building up of the recipient or recipients. That is not for the tearing down. For instance, even if it is a correction, it is intended to build up. Listen, God is out for our best good. And just like the woman caught in adultery, Jesus spoke prophetically into her life and corrected her. But she left liberated and freed, not condemned. In fact, Jesus said, I do not condemn you, woman. I'm not going to condemn you. It was always for the building up. Next, it is for the glory of Christ. Also, it carries with it the essence of the love of God, like we just spoke about. Now, what should we do when we believe we have received a revelation from God? I'm smiling because I had a fun experience this week when I was on the road playing some shows. And uh, I hit a couple and I struck out on a couple. But uh, anyways, what should we do when we believe we have received revelation from God? So, you know, something takes the form of words or thoughts or mental pictures or impressions in your your heart and mind. They're suddenly forcefully impressed into your heart, mind, or spirit. What do we do? Well, first of all, we pray about it. We stop and we, we begin to pray and say, Lord, is this from you? Or is this just like a good thought that I had? Is this just some good, loving, encouraging thought that I had for this person? Next, we rejoice over it. Man, rejoice in the fact that, that God is speaking to you. Next, we take our time. Listen, God is not ever in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. And so we take our time. We sit on it. We wait on it. Let it solidify in the mind and heart and God confirm if it's, if it's from him. Also, know the tendency of your flesh. Know the tendency of your flesh. Is your tendency to hold something back? Or is your tendency to, to rush forward without 
thinking? Is your tendency to exaggerate stuff? Or is your tendency to minimize stuff or to be skeptical about stuff? It's good to know these things. Is your tendency to be a man pleaser? Or is your tendency to like confront and like speak the truth always, no matter if it's in love or not? What's your tendency in the flesh? It's good to know the tendency so we can check our hearts with these things as we believe we're hearing something from God and make sure that we're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Next, share with others with similar gifting or spiritual authority to see if there's a sense of confirmation. If you get something that you believe is a word from God, and you're like, I don't know, I'm just learning to walk in this gift. Share with other people who have that, that gift and see if there's confirmation there. This can especially be helpful as you're developing the prophetic gifts. And ask for input for those around you who are more mature and have more experience in their use of their gifts. Well, this is what we do with other gifts, right? We do this with worship leaders who have anointings and giftings as worship leaders. We speak into their lives. This is what we do with people who obviously have a gift of teaching, but the gift hasn't been developed yet. We do this with pastors as it's obvious that there's like a, a, a call on their life and a gifting and anointing, a spiritual gift of pastor, but they haven't developed yet. We develop that in them. That's part of what we do as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Next, we'd be willing to submit to mentors and church leaders. Accountability is essential in the body of Christ with every gift. Just like I know that there's people who are going to hold me accountable with my teaching gift, that if I start using it to manipulate or control or speak doctrine that is wrong, that somebody's going to say something to me. In the same way, we must be accountable and humble before one another in mutual submission with all of the gifts, certainly the prophetic gifts. And then lastly, nope, not lastly, um, we love test it. We love test it. What should we do when we believe we receive revelation from God? We love test it. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, right? We've all heard this. Where do we most often hear that quoted? At weddings and stuff, right? What's funny about that is we forget the context at which Paul, when Paul wrote this. You know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? It's right in the middle of all the spiritual gifts. It's, he's talking about spiritual gifts, That's 100% all he's talking about in 12, 13, and 14. It's all 100% about how to operate in the spiritual gifts. Foundationally, the gifts of the Spirit are an expression of the love of God, as is everything he does. And when you begin to operate in the gifts apart from operating in the love, they actually take away from representing God because God is love. The gift of prophecy, and every gift for that matter— must operate from a place of and for the purpose of love. And so the love test, when you think you're hearing something from God, is like, okay, if I want to know if I'm operating in my spiritual gift, prophecy or not, if I want to know if I'm operating in my spiritual gift in, from a place of love and with a heart of love, you can just replace the word love in 1 Corinthians 13 with whatever your spiritual gift is. For our topic today, let's do it with prophecy. I feel like I'm hearing something from God. Well, let me litmus test it here. Prophecy is patient. Prophecy is kind. Prophecy does not envy. Prophecy is not boastful. Prophecy is not arrogant. Prophecy is not rude. Prophecy is not self-seeking. Prophecy is not irritable. Prophecy does not keep a record of wrongs. Prophecy finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Prophecy bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, many of us are sitting here, and we're like, yo, I've heard some people prophesying, and it didn't look like that. 
it was not, it did not sit within that framework. Listen, I know, me too. Me too. And maybe that's a perfect example of somebody having the what of prophecy, knowing what it is. Somebody having the why, maybe even knowing the purpose of it, but not knowing the how. And so, they get something from God, and then what they do is they interject their own presuppositions or their own opinions into it, and it goes from being something that was intended to be delivered in love and spoken in a place of love and for the purpose of love, turns into something else. And that's why we're talking about these things today. God wants us to earnestly desire this gift, but we must know the what, the why, and the how to walk in it. What else should we do when we believe we have received a prophecy? We practice first. We practice. When you start walking in the prophetic gifts, it can be very helpful to even write down words that God gives you and then track them. Like, was that true or not? And look at it like, oh, that's okay, dude. That was, I was off. That was just me. I was just me right there. And okay, I, here's what it felt like when I was on. Here's what God's voice sounded like when I was on. Here's what it sounded like when I was off. Practice first. Do this with your community, trusted friends and mentors. As you're growing in any of your gifts, certainly the prophetic gifts, practice with people that love you, where it's going to be easier for them to have grace for you when you totally botch something that you think is from God, right? We do the same thing with teaching gifts. Like, you know, when I was on staff at Reality Carp, way before Britt ever asked me to teach on a Sunday, he asked me to teach staff devotionals. It was people that loved me, knew me, and would give me a lot of grace if I totally botched something, right? We do the same thing with our worship leaders and other gifts, do this with your community, people who love you. Pray about what to do with it and when to deliver it. You get something you believe is from God, pray about what to do with it and when to deliver it. Because here's why. Sometimes God speaks prophetically to us, not for the purpose of telling anybody else, but for the purpose of giving us prophetic insight into how to intercede and pray. But if it is for communicating— then we need to ask God, when do I communicate it? Because sometimes God speaks right now, but as you pray about it, it's like, it's not time yet. Sometimes the, 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 the one in, who has the gift of prophecy sees so far in the future, they think it's for now, but they're actually seeing something way down the road. And they might need to sit with it for a while. Or the person receiving might need to know, I think that's from God, but it's not for now. It's for later. It takes discernment. And then lastly, with, with this section, know who it is for. Know who it is for. For instance, if you're in a group of like 20 people at a community group or something, you get a word. Don't assume like, oh, this is for everybody. It could be for the person sitting next to you. It could be for the couple sitting next to you. It could be for just the wife. It could be for that one dude right there. Or it could be for the group. Know who it is for. <clears throat> and if you believe that it is for now, and you believe that it's for that person or those people, then how do we approach the delivery or reporting of a prophecy? First of all, try to be faithful with the content. Sometimes a picture, a word, a sentence, a impression, an impression is all that you get. So ask God what it means and how to communicate that. But if he didn't show you anything beyond that, don't try to interpret what, it, what he has not shown you. Just let it be what it is. Be clear with what is clear and not with what is not. And it's okay to say, I don't know what this means, but I believe God showed me this for you. Or I think maybe it means this, but I'm not sure. Be okay saying that. Next, choose your words carefully to reflect the gospel and the love of the Father. 
Remember, though prophecy may be one-dimensional information, it may come in the form of one-dimensional information, God is never in the business of dispensing just information. He is always in the business of dispensing his heart and his culture of love. Next, deliver in a way that increases faith in God and reassures the believer of God's loving care, proximity, and sovereignty. Next, make sure that your heart is clean toward the person you are giving it to. This is a good one. If you don't have love for that person, wait until you do. Remember, love must be the motivation and the goal. And if you have something against a person, first of all, you need to make that right. Second of all, you should not be trying to prophesy to them. Next, it should be done decently and in order. There is an order to how we prophesy how we use the prophetic gifts. For instance, if you receive a prophetic gift or a picture for a small group like a prayer meeting or a community group or something like that, you're not, you shouldn't just talk while everybody else is talking like, I just got this thing, and you just interrupt everybody. Or while somebody else is praying or while somebody's singing a chorus to a worship song, you should wait till the appropriate time. If it's for the whole church, for instance, I said this last week, and these two different people who had words, they, 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 uh, they follow these kind of like guidelines, and it was so helpful and edifying. I said last week, listen, you, if you get a prophetic word in the middle of a group of hundreds of people, unless it's dead quiet, if you start saying it, and even if it is dead quiet, in a room this big, if you start saying it, chances are only half the room's going to hear you. And since the, the gifts of the Spirit are for the edification of the body of Christ, nobody's edified when all you hear is this. Nobody's edified by that, right? So the way we approach it here is, Man, come find me, Billy, or Chad. Come tell us, hey, I, I believe this is from God. And we'll sit there with you. We'll decipher it with you. Um, we'll discern, rather, with you. If that's for right now, and if it is, then we'll either bring you up on stage to share it, or like what happened last week, neither of the people wanted to come up on stage. <laughs> they were like, here's the word. You go share it. And, and so we came up, and we shared that word. Um, it should be done one at a time is what 1 Corinthians 14 says. So multiple people shouldn't be prophesying all at the same time. And it should just be a few, you know, like your whole meeting shouldn't be a hundred prophecies. There's other gifts that should be being used. Next, deliver it and leave it with the person and the Lord. You've done your job. Your job is to deliver it, not to babysit and make sure that the word, you know, is walked out. That's God's job. This requires faith and trust in God and humility and love and respect for our brothers and sisters. And lastly, I know I keep harping on this, but this is everything with the spiritual gifts. Wait to share until you can share from a place of love as the motivating factor and goal. Ask yourself, is the reason I'm sharing this because I love this person and because I want them to experience more and more the depths of God's love? If not, wait till you have that heart to share it. And all of this needs to be practiced and grown in. The gifts are not given in their full matured state. We are not fully matured in our use of them. They need to be developed and grown in, and this happens through prayer, practice, and critique. Again, the example of a worship leaders who are anointed to have gifts, teachers, pastors. We do this. We do these same kind of things. It has to be developed through prayer, practice, and critique. So those were on the delivery side of the prophetic. But now to the receiving end of the prophetic. What do we do when we are given a prophecy from another person? First of all, do not despise it. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. Do not despise it. 
This is part of how God intends to communicate his heart and his thoughts to his people. So do not despise it. But evaluate it. Receive the right stuff. Discard the wrong stuff. Remember, you have the Spirit of God, so weigh it. Ask the Lord to show you if it's from him or not, what it means, and what to do with it. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, Let two or three prophesy... And let the others evaluate what is said. In the New American Standard, it says, let them pass judgment on what is said. What Paul had in mind here is the kind of evaluation whereby each person would weigh what is said in his or her mind, accepting some of the prophecy as good and helpful and rejecting some of it as wrong or misleading. And remember, accountability is a good thing. Don't ever say, I'm hearing from God, and so I must not be wrong, and I'm not going to take any correction from you. Paul said, until Jesus comes back, we prophesy in part. That means that we don't know all the things in all of their fullness all the time. So don't be so arrogant as to assume that you do. Next, rejoice over it. Rejoice over the fact that that God is speaking to you and you're on his heart. Next, look for confirmation especially if it's unclear as to, man, Lord, is this from you? It feels like it resonates with me, but I'm not really sure how, that, how it applies to my life maybe, or God, I'm, I'm not sure this is from you. Ask God to confirm it in multiple ways. Remember, God knows how to communicate to you in many different ways. Now, do you know how to listen? I don't know, but he does know how to talk to you. Lastly in the section, Keep your attention and heart focused on Jesus, not the prophecy. This is good, right? Because you can get some, like, thing that, man, it seems like that's from God, or maybe it's just really fun. <laughs> like, God's going to bring you into this new season. You're never going to have to work again, and somebody's going to give you everything you need in life, and you're going to have a million dollars dropped off on your door, and your kids are going to be super healthy and successful. And it's just this, like, amazing, like, and you're like, I'm taking that to the bank, right? And you like, you focus on the, the prophecy instead of on Jesus. But we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're not like tornado chasers, right? We're not chasing prophecy. We chase after Jesus. If it is God, he will bring it to pass. And sometimes that may be years. When I was 18 years old, I had just barely been healed from being tone deaf. And I could barely sing. I could barely write a song. But God spoke to me as clear as day, and told me what his heart was for my music, which my music was not, I was like, my music? What are you talking about, my music? What his heart was and how we wanted to use it in the world. It was so obvious, like more obvious than anything in my entire life. But it wasn't until seven years later, which is an eternity when you're 18, seven years later, that any of it started to come to fruition. If it's of God, he will bring it to pass. But keep your art on Jesus. And I didn't. I kept my mind and my eyes on the prophecy, and it just about destroyed my life, which is another story for another time. So where do we start with all of this stuff? I mean, Paul says, earnestly desire the gifts. And you're like, I see the crazy benefit of this. I want, I want people to experience more and more the love of God through God working through my life. I want to be used by that. I want to earnestly desire the gifts, especially prophecy, like Paul says. So where do I start? First of all, it starts with identity. It starts with identity. I know it's not what you wanted to hear, but it starts with identity. If you want to begin prophesying, know who you are in Christ. 
Be secure in your identity. We must prophesy from a place of identity, not for a place of identity. This isn't a badge of honor that we're looking for. This is a humble act of service to the body. You know, some people want to prophesy over other people's lives, but they can't even hear God's voice for their own lives. They need to hear God prophesying over them the truth about who they are in Christ. And if you can't hear God's voice for who you are yet, then you, it's probably not time for you to be trying to prophesy over other people's lives. Secondly, intimacy. Remember, the whole point of all of this is loving relationship with the Father. And that doesn't just go for us on the receiving end of the prophetic, but also those operating in the prophetic gift as well. One of our mantras at reality has been for years, something that we learned from Charles Spurgeon, where he says that true intimacy, I'm sorry, true ministry flows from intimacy. True ministry flows from intimacy, and that is not more true than with prophecy. See, there is a danger in when we start seeing God moving and doing like supernatural things and things that are beyond us, things we can't explain, performing miracles or speaking in crazy, miraculous ways. There is a danger in us falling in love with the prophetic instead of in love with the one who gives the prophetic and the one who is in love with us. Next, what do we do? Inquiry and impartation. We inquire of God for the gift. We ask for it. And to not ask, listen guys, I know it's crazy, but to not ask is actually to disobey God. The Bible says, desire earnestly that you may prophesy. We should be desiring this gift because it is good and it is beautiful and it strengthens and builds up the body. And one of the things we see clearly in Scripture also is that gifts are imparted to people through the laying on of hands. Today, I'm almost done in a few minutes here. Today, we're going to have people up on the right and left, and they would love to pray for you. They would love to lay hands on you, if it's okay with you for them to put their hands on you. Lay hands on you and pray that God would give you whatever gifts he wants to give you. You can ask the people next to you, hey, would you pray for me? Would you put your hand on my shoulder and pray that God would give me whatever gifts he wants to use for his glory and for the, 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 the exaltation of Jesus in my life? Inquiry and impartation. And have faith. What do we do? Man, have faith. Believe that this is something God wants to do and is able and does do. God said through the prophet Joel in Joel 2.28, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Maybe you said, listen, I just don't have that gift. I'm going to be honest, dude. I'm going to be honest. Before I had to teach this, I said this a couple weeks ago. I got, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years. So I think at the beginning of my relationship with Jesus, I was like, Lord, give me the gifts. Whatever gifts you want to give me. And then I realized I kind of got a few gifts. I'm not really going to ask for any other gifts. I don't really ask or earnestly desire the, the gift of prophecy. But it's until I started digging in again this week, I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, I want that gift. I want that gift. I want to speak that kind of love into people's lives. I want to see, call forth things that you see in people's lives. Come on, Lord. I want to partner with you in that. And God says, earnestly desire this. Now, all don't prophesy, but all can prophesy, which is why God tells us all to desire it. And listen, there's even some like little kids in here today. If you're a Christian little kid, 
you did not get a junior Holy Spirit when you were saved. Okay? You got the same Holy Spirit as your parents. All right? So you too, you too need to be asking. You too need to be asking for God to give you this gift. I want to see my little 10-year-old Solomon start getting words of knowledge and prophesying. Right? Woof. That's good. So whoever you are, for all of us, man, Scripture says for us to earnestly desire it. And listen, when God tells you, he doesn't tease us. God doesn't say, earnestly desire this, but I don't want you to have it. The heck is that? That's not who God is. God doesn't tease us. If God says, I want you to want this, then God wants it for us as well. Some of us, though, have like, man, we got our hand over the water thing. And we're like, no thanks, God. Hey, listen, son, daughter, don't say no to your dad. He knows what's best. He's like, dude, I got, look at all this stuff I got. And you're like, no, thank you. Don't do that. Just out of fear of whatever, losing control or God, I don't know what you're going to do with me. It sounds scary to me. I have a plan for my life. I'm comfortable. Don't do that. Don't put your hand over this thing. Let like today, just like let God go like that. And you open up and receive what God has for you. I know that it's scary because you can't see it. Walking by faith is not walking by sight. But guys, fear is the great enemy of faith. And fear is just like a disguise for having faith in the devil, honestly. So we got to decide today, man, am I going to walk in fear? Or am I going to walk by faith? And so the last thing I'll say, some of you have been walking with God for decades, like way longer than I have. And you're like a a tree whose roots go so deep. You are deeply rooted in God. But God is wanting, as the great divine vine dresser, to come along and like prune you right now so that you can bear more fruit. Listen, he's not done with you. He's got more, extra, other stuff. Other stuff. God says, I do a new thing. Behold, I do. Let him do a new thing and you. Let him prune that stuff. One of the dudes that uh, second service last week on the prayer team, he called me and said, dude, I've been praying on the prayer team every single week for the last two years. This old lady, he said, she's old, is what he said. She came up to me and dude, she was so hungry, more hungry than I've ever seen any of like the young 20-somethings that come to, to second service. She was so hungry, just like, I want more of God. Listen, you're not too old. You're not too old. You're not too old for God to do a new good beyond what you can ask or imagine. Let him come and prune that stuff so that, that, that you may produce fruit that everybody around you can partake of. Listen, guys, let, let God take your, hand, take your hand off the vessel. Let him pour in his water so the water can flow out and start to parch the thirst of people around you. Listen, take your cork out of the thing so God can pour in his wine, right, and begin to, to satisfy those around you. And yeah, is it going to hurt? Yeah, it might hurt a little bit might be a little uncomfortable, but that's the crushing. That's the crushing of the grapes that produces the wine, right? It is the pressing of the olives that brings forth the olive oil. And God wants to use your life like oil, like a salve, to heal like a balm, to bring healing to the world around you and to the nations. God wants to use your life like wine and like water to parch the thirst of those around you. But listen, the wine has got to be pressed from the grapes. The oil has got to be pressed 
from the, the olives. So yeah, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But God is your Father who loves you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to be right here while he's squeezing all that stuff out of you. So guys, let him do that today. Let him do that. Come, surrender to him. Let those walls be broken down in Jesus' name. Lord, we know this is your heart for us. We know as a good father, you say, sons, daughters, I have so much more for you. Come on. Come on, take your hand off of the, the craft. Come on, take your, move your hand. Let me, let me pour in my goodness. Let me pour in freedom and life empower my presence and gifts. Let me pour in. Let me overflow. Let me fill you up. Satisfy you to the point of overflowing. You're spilling out my goodness and love and power to the world around you. Let me do that today, God says to us. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. You don't have to be afraid. And guys, don't let, don't let the enemy squat on that place of fear. Like you've had bad experiences with some of these things, whatever. You're scared. You don't know what God's going to call you to do. You, stuff's happening in your life. You don't know if you can really trust God again, but you're not bold enough to walk away from him. So you live in this like lukewarm kind of state or whatever. Man, don't let enemy, the enemy squat on that fear today. Let God, by his love, eradicate that and banish that from your life. And don't let fear be masked by you being like, well, I'm just, I'm just being responsible. I'm just, I'm just being responsible in my life. I just want to, you know, I don't want to give up control to God because that's going to seem irresponsible. The most responsible thing you can do as a son or daughter of God is to let God lead like he wants to. So, please, if God's speaking to you, don't leave. You can postpone your brunch reservation or whatever and, and talk to God about these things right now. Get prayer. The prayer team is here if you want to get prayer. But let's respond. Let's respond to him now.